0: Welcome to Fire and Water, Coming of Age in This Age with Quinita Robertson and Tennyson Wolf, where we try to cultivate wise leaders one show at a time. Today, Tennyson and I are going to have a conversation about fear. Tennyson, we were just talking a couple minutes ago about fear and how that shows up and how it's showing up now. Why don't you say a couple of words?
1: <laughs> oh boy, okay. Uh, big topic. And maybe one of the entry points into it for me today is some awareness that in the times we live in, uh, I I think there's a way in which fear is growing. Fear of the unknown, fear of the uncertain, fear of the next wave of COVID, fear of what's the future of the world, fear of economics, jobs lots of things that we like to perceive as being secure and tucked in and, uh, and how any of us develop a relationship and a capacity to be in the fear, but not hijacked by a fear or aware of the fear, but not, you know, I don't know, not, not knocked over or not knocked over too many times that, feels like a useful skill in trying to be wise, thoughtful, soulful human beings and human communities. Those are the words I got right now. Let me pause there.
0: That's a mouthful. Um, I, you know, I go two places. One is a part of me says that there's not more fear, that Mm. our fear is just being more and more exposed. Mm. But then I don't know if I fully believe that either Mm -hmm. because I think that um, I hold there's two energies in the world, love and fear. Mm -hmm. And when we stand in fear, often what will happen is that the person on the other side will react out of fear as well until one of us chooses love that shifts the energy, but we tend to meet the energy that's present. And so if fear shows up, our first response often is to react to it in fear. And so maybe there is more fear because that's where we're putting a lot of our attention right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think um, we keep and have been for a long time drumming up more and more fear because fear is good for business. (laughs) At least it has been, you know, like the storm of the century and all of that kind of stuff that we have in our culture now, where we invite people more and more to be afraid. So then they have to buy the security system, the, you know, the selling of the, see-through backpacks to our kids who are going into schools because of shooter drills and all that kind of stuff you know like we've made we've built a whole economy on fear Mm -hmm. and so i think that um it can be easy to be sucked into it Mm -hmm. and um the thing about fear though is often we move into reaction instead of response Mm -hmm.
1: Yikes. Okay. Yikes. Uh, I definitely relate to fear as a complete manipulative strategy. Storm of the century. I mean, it's just, it runs through so many of the messages that are part of contemporary news cycles and the way people talk with one another. Uh, so there is a manipulation there. There is an exploit, I would suggest, an exploitation that's there. I like your line, though, about maybe there's not more fear, it's just more exposed. You sort of just combined a couple of things together there, Quinita, that feel really, uh, you know, like they make bread together. They, they put, put it together. Not new, just more exposed, and the contagiousness of energy. So I don't want to oversimplify it into... I don't want to be nutty in oversimplifying it, but fear itself uh, can, fear can breed fear, fear, fear contagious. And love can breed love.
0: Yeah. When
1: I think fear, I think contraction getting you know tighter, smaller. When I think love, I think expansion. I know that that's part of the language of some neurosciency kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you just put the two of those together in a way that feels, uh, if, if, if It feels important. And I go back to my, uh, what is this? This feels like an ongoing thing for me. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a good human? What do good humans do? Those are sort of like weird questions and yet helpful all at the same time. If we develop patterns of avoiding, denying, rejecting our fears, I think that... Uh, it's, it's tough for us to be helpful, more helpful human beings in the times that we live in. Like being in a relationship with our own fear is a big deal. So if I put something else into that, you know, to try and make a little bit of a difference here, um, it, to, to me, it does not feel helpful to be in denial of fear. Does that mean we need to take on our fear every moment of every day? Woo, that feels exhausting, but, you know, it's possible. Um, the difference of being aware for any of us, being aware of some of the fears that we have and not being hijacked by them into, I need you to fix me. I need you to manage my anxiety. I need you to make things better. I need you to make it feel, I need you to lie to me and tell me, you know, everything's under, under control. Those are not helpful orientations in the growing that we need to be as human beings these days being aware not hijacked that's different than you know just getting waylaid by the fears that are, are just part of being a human being these days let me pause there where do you go with that
0: i think there's a couple of things one is that i think we like to swoosh things together mm-hmm. so we think fear and danger are the same thing Mm -hmm. Are that they automatically go together. Mm -hmm. But if you have danger, of course, you're going to be afraid. Mm -hmm. But just because danger is present doesn't mean fear is. Mm -hmm. You know, there's many of people that it looks like they're walking into danger situations, but they don't look afraid. Mm -hmm. And so even teasing apart the possibility that Mm -hmm. there could be danger and not be fear, Mm -hmm. I think is something to think about. Mm -hmm. Nice. The other thing I think is it's not just about lying to me around, you know, pretending my fear isn't there, but it's also this piece about we have so many people who let their fear make their decisions for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a responsibility for each of us to Mm -hmm. like, you know, not make our choices from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. Again, does that mean that the fear isn't present? Not necessarily. The fear could still be present mm-hmm. and I can know it's there and still not make my decision from that place, mm-hmm. you know? And I just, but I think that takes some skill in slowing down yeah. and thinking about, okay, what, where am I coming from? What is this? And sometimes we don't have the capacity to do that. Like you said, we just get hijacked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, do we keep going there? Or do mm-hmm. we take an opportunity to really sit with, are these the choices that I wanna be making in, this, mm-hmm. in these circumstances? Mm-hmm. So that we can step into more and more of, of the ability to respond, our own responsibilities.
1: Yeah, I, I admire the people, and the occasional times when I'm able to do this myself, I admire the people who are able to be aware of their fears, but not lead with that fear. Like, there's such a, there's such a difference uh, in a COVID way. I'm not sure I want to go here, but in a COVID way, if uh, there's fear that we don't live in bubbles, like we're afraid of not being safe, let's say. Uh, I'm trying to find the words for it here. I don't want to. I don't want to lead with that. I, I can. I can realize it. I think this is an important step. I can realize in my brain and in my heart that there's you know, sort of some extremely uh, restrictive conditions. There's no perfect bubble. You know, my kid's going to school. My kid interacts with people at school, and I'm part of a bigger soup of of, uh, of sharing of things and germs and infections and all of those kind of things. Uh, so, it's different for me to panic over the imperfect bubble than it is to realize there's no such thing as a perfect bubble. Still, try to do responsible things, but don't get internally locked into "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do?" There's no perfect bubble. Like there's inner work that's needed here. I know that you have spoken, or together, you and I have spoken a little bit about, you know, the internal internal safety or the internal relationship with fear matters immensely here. What, what, can you say some things?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things and the bubble example that you're talking about is I think that we're a culture that's addicted to the illusion of safety mm-hmm. and not real safety. -hmm. You know, I hear a lot of people talking about, well, if this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen, then I'm not I don't feel safe to come or safe to do A, B, and C or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And to me that that that's ignoring the fact (laughs) that there's no perfect bubble. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, are there things that are safer? Sure. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea that there will be safety Mm -hmm. if we just do A, B, and C steps. We don't live in a world that's that way. It Mm -hmm. never has been that way. Mm -hmm. And so our illusion that it was before maybe is more of the issue than where we are now. Yeah. You know, that, that if we're talking about COVID specifically, there's Mm -hmm. always viruses and illness and things that can happen. There's, I mean, we can walk outside our door and trip and fall and hurt ourselves, right? Like there's, There's tons of things, COVID's not the only thing that we live with that people can consider dangerous. And some people do, right? Some people stay in their house all the time because of um, the fear of things. But um, what I think it comes down to for me, and this is some of the conversation you and I have had, Mm. is that I think the trauma that we experience Mm. make us believe that God left us. Mm. And because of that, we think we're responsible for our survival. But I don't think our survival is any of our business. Mm-hmm. I, you know, said to you when I decided to come to Utah and visit a couple months ago, um, that I, the reason that I decided to come wasn't because I don't, because I think that my faith will keep me from getting COVID, or mm-hmm. even because I think that faith itself will have me be cured if I get it. Mm. But it's because I believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience and that if I get it, there's not necessarily a cure, but there's a healing that's available to me. Mm -hmm. Because I think everything that happens, happens in service to the growth of my spirit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that's a very different orientation that there's a healing and not necessarily a cure that's Mm -hmm. in service than some people hold. Now, I don't, I don't expect everybody to hold what I hold. Mm-hmm. in my beliefs. But this is this is what I believe to be true. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It, I'll play with that just a little bit. I'm I'm noticing a bit of difference and just trying to find what that is. The God left us part or the you know the fear that God left us. Uh to to me i noticed myself relanguaging that a little bit. It's like we, we fear that we're alone. And so uh, that's another way for me to play that. Like we fear that we're alone, or we feel like we're solely responsible when there's other things that are at play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that. Uh, where was I going to go? Oh, the internal strength. I, I I feel like I I know that I am a person who is quite oriented to a robust internal world that means thought that means feelings that means emotional awareness that means you know a certain layer of comfort with uncertainty or unresolvedness all of those kind of things and you and i were talking a little bit about how developing the inner strength will always matter even in some more pressing external circumstance, trying not to be too heady with all of this. This feels like just real human shit, human life living kind of stuff. What do you find helps to develop that inner strength, Quinina?
0: For one, for me, I think it's faith. You yeah. know, I, I've been in this time asking that question for myself, what does faith mean in this time? Yeah. You know, faith isn't faith if you only have it when things are good. <laughs> If it's never tested, it's not real faith. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what comes back for me and what's just core in my, um, I guess, ancestral story mm-hmm. is my grandfather's story. About my grandfather was a pastor. Or was a pastor of a holiness church. He also had nine children, and he used to preach and tell this story about. Um, Being at home at one time and his kids being there and him, he worked at night and my grandmother worked during the day so that there would be someone always home with the kids. And he said this particular day, he didn't have any food to feed his family. Hmm. And he went into the closet and got on his knees Hmm. and started to cry and pray because he didn't have any food and he didn't know what he was going to do. And then there was a knock at the door. Hmm. And it was a woman from the church who came and brought a loaf of bread and some lunch meat. And, you know, I remember him telling this story as a kid. It's interesting because it's probably one of the only sermons I remember him preaching, (laughs) Um, but it stuck with me. And part of what has stuck with me is this belief around, you know, even if it doesn't come on our time, it's like, for me, my experience has been the bread and the lunch meat always comes. And so that has made up part of my holding of faith Mm. and my understanding of faith. Um, and and I think that there comes points in your life where you don't feel the external control. Mm-hmm. And so I think for him, he went internal and he went to spirit, right? Because he didn't have any food. He didn't have, he didn't know what he was going to do. And, um, and just leading with that, you know? Um, now that's not to deny mm-hmm. that people are in lots of different kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do hold a belief that the universe wants to prove us right. And is always showing us our conscious and unconscious belief systems.
1: Yeah. Can I pick it up? Yeah. In my family system, um, I was asked one time when I was participating in a group uh, that that involved different faith communities and uh, all of us all were asked to respond like, what's the faith tradition you come from? And for me, uh, I didn't have a particular faith tradition that I came from, but what I ended up speaking into that group felt like it was the most profound faith system that I could name. And I hadn't spoken it before then. I, I said in my family, And I think of my grandparents in particular, there was always room at the table for one more. And that, it's like that was the faith system. There's always room. Well, you know, there's always another bowl of soup. There's always a cut the potato in half kind of option. And I'm talking about people who did not have a lot and who lived in the Depression era. So there's something powerful about that to me. Um, I think if I just sort of tuck in a little bit of the faith, the fear conversation that we're in, I would name that fear is always available. Like it just seems like if we really want it, we can go to fear. And we can find others to support us in going to fear also.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, name different circumstances. Uh, they're, they're, it's always there. To me, um, what's always felt healthy is the way that we might be able to name or even just begin to name our fears. Like I am, you know, totally afraid of uh you know, whatever that might be. I'm afraid of loss. I'm afraid of not belonging. I'm afraid of stuff to be able to name it. And then without changing the circumstance or fixing it, just be able to recognize, you know, me too. I have some of that fear in me.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But then not be required to fix it. Just the mere witnessing of, you know, Holy shit, you're afraid. I'm afraid too does something or can do something by way of us acknowledging our fear and then giving us some choices of how we move from there. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I think that's part of what's needed in people living in these days here. There's a lot to be afraid of. Of course there is. And we do our best to name it, maybe share it, witness it a little bit, and then move in some of the things that are a different choice. There's a choice of fear. There's a choice of love and a few other choices too. Mm -hmm. You and I are in the start of a week here. You all kind of, yeah, in a week where we're offering a class that concludes our wisdom series and it's focused on joy. Yes. Can you just like make a little bridge there of what's fear got to do with joy and (laughs) (laughs) putting you on the spot too much?
0: Well, I think that, uh, Hmm. <clears throat> that that for me, one of the things that I that you and I were talking about actually and talking about joy hmm. is you know we can be afraid mm-hmm. that the joy won't last. And so we don't allow ourselves to fully feel it when it's there. Ooh, yeah. You know? And so it's that do I have the capacity? Mm. To um, to not let the fear dictate how quickly I re- I move myself away from the joy, mm-hmm. you know. Nice. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention too, you had said um, we that fear is always available. I just wanted to also speak that love is always available as well. Right. Yeah. That that both of those I think are the two <laughs> constant energies in the world, and that that we can choose. Right, no, um, love and fear in every moment are always available.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. this such a statement could be quite fear-inducing. Like, fear is always available. Yeah, but so just getting over my fear of fear.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, but I, I love this uh, twist that you're naming. I find yeah. it's one that I use a lot. You know, fear, fear. It's true that fear is always available. Fortunately, it's not the only thing that's always
0: available too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And I want to just bring it back to initiation because fire and water is about, you know, yeah. um, about wisdom, cultivating wisdom, which, which I think one of the ways to do that is through initiation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think happens in initiation or what initiation asks of us mm-hmm. is that we move from being earth centered and led in our decision making that's making our decisions from the bottom chakras so it's about the root chakra our basic needs food water shelter the second chakra our relationship to work to people to money to sex our third chakra the relationship to our own self-esteem or lack thereof and our heart chakra you know our the bottom part of our heart chakra which is rooted in the earth and people that we We love here, like individuals, or the upper part of the heart chakra, which is rooted in the heavens and the global universal love, and then the fifth chakra, which is our speaking our truth, the sixth chakra, which is our own intuition, and the seventh, which is our divine guidance, and I think what initiation asks is that we make our decisions from the upper chakras, that we lead in our decision-making from the upper chakras. Does that mean that you still don't have food? (laughs) That doesn't mean that you you know that you don't um, that you don't have those basic needs. it just means that you don't lead in what to do about them from those lower chakras and what's happened is we because we have such an adolescent culture, so much of our movement is from the fear because it's it's rooted in the lower chakras. Love is rooted in the upper chakras. And as we become, I think, a more initiated culture, we will move more and more from this place of love instead of fear.
1: Nice. I can be afraid of the spider in the corner of my house. And I have some choices. One is I might freak out like, oh my gosh, spiders drive me nuts. What if it comes to get me? I could do all kinds of things. I have the power to end its life. I have the power to take it outside. But all of those are are like I'm naming the fear side of that. I also have the choice to say, "That spider's just doing what spiders do. Let it be. You know, it's it's probably doesn't want to come anywhere near me. Doesn't have anything to do with me. That is a different journey internally for me to say, Ah, you know, here's here's another choice of how I could respond to uh, this spider. And the depth of work is you no." Know, You know, in the end, the spider might not matter a whole lot. Personally, I tend to be one who gets a bit of Kleenex, tries to pick up the spider without hurting it and put it outside and say, have a good adventure. I don't want you in my house, but have a good life, you know. Um, Any any of the ways that any of us, I think, come into more of a conscious relationship with our fears and remembering, reclaiming that we have some choices, not just what did you name it as you know not just danger not just death yeah that goes with our fears then I think we've done something that helps us contribute to the you know the kind of world that we live in these days
0: and doing our internal grief work mm. expands our choices
1: yeah yeah well this is a big topic and um uh, and maybe we'll pick it up for another another episode here also, but anything from you, Quinita, that you want to offer that tucks it in for today.
0: I think just for me, a lot of it is about us each claiming more and more of our own internal personal power, Mm. you know, and fear gives us the opportunity to step into choosing that. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. That's good. Take us home.
0: All right. Thank you for joining us today on Fire and Water. If you want to reach Tennyson RI, you can reach Tennyson at TennysonWolfConsulting.com or, I'm sorry, TennysonWolf.com at (laughs) TennysonWolfConsulting. And you can reach me, Quanita, at nazuzu.com. Thanks for joining us. Tennyson, thanks for the conversation, bye.